You're listening to Staying in the Game, a Plum Dragon Herbs podcast where we have conversation about mindset and techniques for staying at the top of your game. Plum Dragon Herbs provides herbs and D.Jow to support all types of martial arts training and wellness programs. Our podcast welcomes voices from all corners of the martial arts and health communities. We understand that there are many conflicting martial arts and health philosophies, and our podcast showcases the wide variety of opinions that exist. The views expressed by our podcast guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Plum Dragon Herbs, its staff, or partners. I'm your host, Janelle Leatherwood, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with martial artist Lindsay Way. Welcome to our show, Lindsay Way. We're excited to have you here with us. And I was just wondering if you could give an introduction and tell us about yourself. And I'm going to back you up maybe to the earlier years of your life and what led up to you becoming a martial artist in the first place. Yeah. uh, Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's an honor to be here. Um, I began my journey into martial arts, I would say, when I was 17. And, uh, I, you know, I, I had graduated high school and I had been doing, uh, I was really passionate about doing dance choreography and modern dance. And I knew that I loved movement arts. I didn't know what I wanted to, you know, do with my life. I very much felt constrained by, uh, just the, the model of academics and what I felt like I was being funneled into, um, a lifestyle that I was being funneled into. And so I suppose I was really kind of rebelling against that, going against the grain. And I had, uh, when I was 15 years old, I had gone on a school trip to China, um, with my Chinese language class. And I had had an experience in a temple in Beijing, um, And it was, it was, I, you know, at the time, the way that I would describe it was we entered into these temples. Uh, It was the summer palace in Beijing and it was the hall of Buddhist fragrance. And you climb up all these stairs, you know, and you get to the top and at the top is a very large statue of the deity of Guan Yin. And uh, so I was really struck by that imagery getting to the top and being inside of this temple and and seeing um, kind of all of the symbolism um, and feeling the presence of this deity, Guan Yin. And uh, something kind of happened inside of me, just thoughts were happening. And I went out onto the terrace and I was looking out over the forest slopes. And I had this feeling that I would be coming back to China and spending a long time in China on some, you know, path of discovering what, you know, what this feeling was all about. What are these deities? What, what are these temples? Um, something, you know, was, um, an awakening kind of. And, uh, so I didn't know that that would be, you know, only a few years later that I would make that choice to go back to China, but it was kind of like, I, you know, didn't know what to do with my life. I thought, okay, I'll just do like, kind of like, um, you know, I'll do a trip, like a year off kind of, you know, life journey and went to China uh, to study at a sports university in Beijing. 
learn the Chinese language uh, because I didn't learn Chinese growing up, but I'm half Chinese. And so I wanted to learn the language. And so I signed up for a program where you learn uh, Chinese and also modern Wushu. And so I started learning Wushu, uh, which is kind of like a modern version of the traditional arts of Gongfu or Kung Fu. And I just fell in love with this type of movement artistry because I, I knew I loved movement and needed movement in my life and had only done dance up until that point. And so then I found the martial arts movements to uh, have much more power uh, behind them and utilitarian uses, you know, not just for the expression, right. uh, but, you know, it's, it's so useful to be able to defend yourself it's useful for survival Every, there was just so much more function behind the movement and I liked that and honestly I never went back to dance I just continued forward with martial arts wow and then you stayed there for several years in China right yeah so from there I just I stayed um, from age 18 until about age 25 was when I really came back to the states and started teaching and became a teacher and started my school um, <clears throat> it took me three years to find my shifu though so I spent time in Beijing studying wushu and then I um, started journeying further into the countryside I went to Shaolin Si and studied uh, near the Shaolin temple <laughs> And um, that was a wonderful experience. And then from there, I heard about the Wudong Mountains and uh, traveled there, visited the mountain school, which was the only school at the time. And now there's many, many schools in the Wudong Mountains. But at the time, it was really just that one. And, you know, that's when I knew this is the style that I really want to pursue. And so then, you know, I put all my efforts into learning the Wudong Gong Fu. I started learning about Taoism. I spent a year at that school uh, and then was able to, by chance, meet Li Shifu, who became you know, my lifelong Shifu. And um, from there, I spent all my time at the Five Immortals Temple on um, one of the peaks of the Wudong Mountain Range, which is called Bai Ma Shan or Tian Ma Feng, Heavenly Horse Peak or White Horse Mountain is kind of the more local name. Mm -hmm. And so how did it seem to you like coming from a Western culture um, and deciding to immerse yourself in like the Shaolin temple experience like um, or or let me restate that you were now in Wudong um, on, yeah. on the mountain. And so what was, what is that temple area called? Um, yes, yeah, so the the Wudong Mountains and this particular temple is called the Five Immortals Temple, which okay. is a very small remote temple um, dedicated to some local deities uh, called the Five Immortals. Um, yeah, you know, it since it was a longer process, like it was three years before I found myself alone in this remote mountain temple, I had already uh, kind of become acclimated to the culture in China. And I will say that learning the language uh, for me unlocked a lot of my, um, you know, I think genetics and what was in my bloodline, uh, parts of myself that hadn't had a chance to come out yet. 
So now finding myself in the Chinese culture, speaking the Chinese language, interacting with a different kind of people, um, a lot of who, who I am started to come forth. And I felt very much at home in China. Um, yes, there were a lot of cultural differences that I had to adjust to. Um, and then within the martial world, especially too, there's, um, and the Taoist world, there's all kinds of cultural etiquette things. Um, and then when, when you're living in a temple, there's precepts and, um, you know, guidelines that you have to follow. So there's, there's all kinds of, uh, differences in values, uh, of the Chinese, but also, uh, in Taoism and also in martial arts. So all of these things I was learning, uh, at that time. And it was, you know, I think still a developmental phase of life, you know, when you're 18 to 21 and, you know, the mid twenties and, and everything. And so that was just part of my upbringing, I mm -hmm. suppose, part of what formed who I am. Um, now yeah. in 2008, when you began bringing in groups of students to train with you and master, uh, Lee Song Feng, um, in Wudong, had they been doing that before or was that something that you basically organized? Yeah, that was, that was new. That was, uh, organized at that time. Uh, Wudong has changed a lot over the past 10 years. Uh, at the time, it was still pretty much um, unknown, not not very well known about. Um, not very many foreigners, uh, Westerners. Uh, Li Shifu still to this day does not speak English. Uh, and he had met, you know, some foreigners before, but he had never run, you know, large you know, courses with, you know, 10 to 20 foreigners at, at the temple, um, prior to 2008. So it all started developing in 2008. And forgive uh, me my trans, my pronunciation. Um, so it's Li Shufu. Yeah, we, we all call him Li Shufu. Uh, he has many names. He has his birth name and his Taoist name. And, um, okay. I said Li Song Feng. Yeah, that's okay. one of his names. Li okay. Song Feng. Also, sometimes goes by Du Xingde. Okay. okay. But for you, just call him Li Shifu. Okay. So, um, so did that inspire you when you got to help train with students to think maybe this is something I would like to do if I return to the states? Were you thinking about returning at that point? I think that it all just developed in that way. I don't know if I was. It was more of this is all that I know now, so mm -hmm. this is what I have to offer. Um, it's I've, I've now been trained in these arts. I've been trained how to assist in teaching these arts, and now my path is to become a teacher myself and pass on this knowledge. And you know, I think with a lot of traditional arts especially martial arts and Taoism, there's, there's always this value of continuing to pass it along so that it can help others and that it doesn't, you know, kind of go extinct, I guess, uh, because it's, 
you know, it's, it's not necessarily what is going to help you get ahead in our modern society. And so some of these ancestral arts, these, these traditions, they can be lost, you know, Mm -hmm. um, move forward with technology and move forward in time. And so, uh, you know, to, to carry on the lineage of knowledge is intrinsic in some of the values. So it all just made sense that that would be like what I continued to do. Yeah. Now, are you still taking um, annual trips back to Wudong? No. So I haven't been back for, I think, three or four years now. Um, I, w- I, you know, mostly because of COVID and travel restrictions. Um, I think I would have tried to go back by now for sure. Uh, I would really love to go back as soon as things open up, if they open up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I did try to always go back once a year to reconnect, um, check in with Sherfu, uh, help out with the programs. You know, now, well, now everything has changed in the past two years because of the pandemic. But prior to COVID, you know, the the courses were functioning without me, had had been functioning without me for many years. Different senior students came, became translators, ran the program. Uh, yeah, so because my life kind of started taking me in my own direction where I couldn't always be present in China. Yeah. So tell us about what are, when did you come back to the United States and what you've been doing since? I know that you've authored at least two different books um and i'd love to hear about those and that you're running an immersion camp based on the Taoist principles so if you want to share um some of the highlights of that journey that would be great yeah so i you know i came back to the states um i had an invitation to be an instructor at an aikido dojo that was um kind of teaching different uh traditional styles of non-competitive arts so we had aikido capoeira jiu-jitsu um uh, burmese boxing style uh, called Bondo. Uh, we hosted instructors from Russian Sistema, uh, all different styles of martial arts. And uh, so I taught there for many years. And that was my kind of exposure into martial arts in America or martial arts in the West, because everything that I had experienced up until that point was very, um, very much in China, you know, in the in that culture. So I learned a lot, you know, I started cross training, learning about other styles, uh, developing relations with other martial artists and colleagues, um, teaching seminars, teaching drop in classes, weekly classes, I kind of fell into this model that already existed of, you know, you teach at a studio and drop in classes, weekly, monthly memberships, all of that. And I really never, ever liked that. It, to me, right. was so different than what my experience had been. My experience had been, uh, you know, immersive. So every day training eight hours a day in these wushu schools and martial academies in China. And then finally, uh, a very unique master disciple alone on the mountain context where it was all based in self-discipline. So everyday training by myself, everything was self-motivated. I had to ask questions in order to learn more. I had to 
you know, prove myself, prove my worth and prove my dedication in order to learn more. Uh, so very traditional. So it was very strange for me to teach this kind of hobby style drop in class, um, inconsistent way. Uh, so for many years, I, I, it's basically been a journey to redesign going back towards what I know, which is this immersion in wilderness areas, in the mountains, uh, because to be able to connect to nature and observe the sun, the moon, the stars, this is all an integral part of understanding Taoism and therefore mm-hmm. understanding the Wudang Gongfu because they, they developed together. Um, so now, uh, slowly, you know, over the years developed, um, these immersive courses and finding different, uh, you know, pieces of property to, to run these camps on. And so students come, you know, I've, I've done different renditions of them over the years. They've gotten shorter and shorter. They started with, uh, it was like a four month program and then it was a two month program and then a six week program. And, and now this, this past summer I did two, three week programs separate. Um, but essentially you come, you camp out, we're in these remote settings, uh, on the landscape. You're just, you know, you pack in your food, you cook for yourself. We train outdoors, uh, and you know, we wake up before dawn do our standing meditation, Qigong, we have breakfast and we train again at, you know, mid morning training, doing Kung Fu basics and more physical things. Then we break for lunch and rest. And then we come back together for an afternoon training session. Um, sometimes that's weapons and forms and then dinner and then, um, meditation in the evening, seated meditation in the evening. Sometimes we do lectures to talk about, um, you know, different topics, uh, that are more kind of, um, you have to take notes and learn concepts and things like that. Um, but for the most part, we're really getting a lot of exercise every day, a lot of training in, and it's this schedule, this rhythm, this lifestyle that I feel is, you know, intrinsic to developing the spirit behind the art. And without, you know, an experience like that, like a kind of really supercharged experience where you push through, you know, these veils or you push beyond your own limits and you experience what life can be like or feel like, uh, out of the context of our, you know, daily lives in society. Um, I think that is really something that every, you know, martial artist should experience, uh, you know, or every human really healer, uh, practitioner, you know, spiritual adept. I think it's important to have these immersive, uh, life-changing experiences to continue on our kind of evolution. Yeah. And I, I really love how um, you're doing it outdoors and it's um, a type of mountain or wilderness retreat that they're able to participate in. And you said you did different locations. Do you, do you sometimes, do you do it like in the mountains or do you do it more in like a flat area? or? Um, uh, yeah, so it's been, <laughs> um, I've run... 
Well, I've run some of the immersion programs in town as well when I had a studio in California. Um, and then I was able to run it on a piece of property in Southern Oregon, which was in the mountains. Um, and it is sometimes difficult to find flat training areas. Uh, but so that one was in the mountains, about 45 minute drive to get groceries and supplies. Um, and then I ran one in Northern California, which was also in the mountains, uh, deep canyons, um, kind of like an oak woodland grassland type of, uh, landscape. Um, that was also about a 45 minute drive into town, no cell service, uh, no internet, um, and then, you know, this, just this past year I had, uh, it had always been my dream to, um, have my own piece of property so that I could, um, design it, you know, design the energy of the landscape in the way that would be suitable for a school and for cultivation and training and all these things, um, and create that type of space. And so I finally found, um, a piece of property and uh, that was in the high desert of uh, you know, south central Oregon, um, outside of Klamath Falls, east of the Cascades. So very beautiful landscape. I fell in love with this landscape um, at about 5,000 feet elevation. But um, even at that high elevation, this particular you know desert landscape, uh, predominantly pine forest, uh, very flat. So that was, that was nice. Um, very flat there, not, not deep ravines, not drastic, uh, changes in the, um, kind of steepness of, of the landscape, but still in the mountains and still really far out. We were really deep in the Fremont Winema National Forests. And, um, so I was able to run one, uh, immersion camp out there. It's very powerful, uh, to be out on that landscape training, and then uh, the bootleg fire uh, came through on the last day of our course. We had to evacuate, uh, and it did end up burning uh, directly through the training camp and the property that I had, um, you know, recently purchased. And so that became uh, an unexpected, life-changing <laughs> cataclysm that has now sent me on a slightly different trajectory, although in a way it was the same trajectory trajectory I was already on, but it has just, you know, changed, um, you, you know, it just transformed. It's transformed, but in a, in a way it was the same trajectory that I was already on. Um, but to, to persevere... Will you be able to go back to that property or is it, are you now forsaking it at this point? No, I'm, I'm able to go back. Um, you know, you, you weren't able to go into the, you know, fire zone for a little while there for like three or four weeks, I think while it was still actively burning. Um, but since then it's been contained and I've been able to go back, um, three times so far and each time going back has been, uh, e- extremely potent, um, almost like a vision quest, uh, because the landscape has just changed so drastically. It's, it's hard to really describe until you have been there, but it's, 
you know, it's, it's walking through, you, you know, that, that fire burnt 400,000 acres of forest and it burnt particularly hot right on my 20 acres. So it's completely incinerated. There's nothing left. Um, so it's kind of like being in a different dimension when you walk through there, you know, there's like four inches deep of ash, all the trees are dead. Um, many of the wildlife and animals that were there before, um, are gone. It's quiet, it's dead. And yet there's something, you know, hauntingly beautiful about it. And there's something very powerful there still, and so it's it's kind of become my journey now to, you know, to stalk that mystery of of understanding what what is this um, post fire landscape teaching me, <laughs> you know, what what is there to learn here? And you know, on a simple level, it's about um, caretaking the land and making sure that. Uh, I'm doing my part to plant seeds uh, and assist in this reforestation process, um, bring, you know, the landscape back to life. Of course, nature is so powerful in its own design and it will come back on its own. But I do believe that we play a part as well to help it. And um, it's time to give back to the earth, you know. And that's hitting me really hard and has become more of a priority than it. You know, I I could have said, oh, you know, that it it was a priority before, but it wasn't really, you know, now it is very much a priority. And so I do plan to continue um, teaching courses out there, building infrastructure, um, taking people into that landscape so that they can see what, what, what it looks like after a mega fire. Yeah. And it's probably such a symbolic sign of rebirth and renewal and, you know, just, yeah, what an, what, you know, an analogy or an example of letting our past stay behind us and um, bringing in new life Yeah, in a very very visual way, you know, with nature. It's very much the teachings of the Tao. It's, Mm -hmm. um, it's. It's very paradoxical. It it challenges attachments to our expectations of something even just being alive and thriving, you know, an attachment to wanting something to be alive, <laughs> you know, um, or a preference for um, it to be some way. And, you know, in Taoism, we learn to accept our life destiny. So this has been kind of a, a process of just accepting what happened um, and and moving forward through that. And by doing that, I think uh, a, a very um, powerful treasure, um, it's a blessing really to, but but one could miss that blessing based on how we perceive it. How do you, how are you, um, supposed to experience emotions in Taoism? Like, are you supposed to let them come and, and fill them out and kind of let them roll through you? Or is there any suppression that's supposed to happen? 
Mm. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I think in martial arts and religion, there there is a lot of hidden suppression that that is inevitable um, because a lot of the time in martial arts, you can't you can't stop and feel something in the moment. You have to keep moving. Um, and so there is that hardness, I think, in a lot of martial artists of being able to compartmentalize their emotions. Um, and then in Taoism, there is kind of a notion of learning to find a neut- neutrality in in your life where you're less and less affected by things on an emotional level and, and you maintain a neutrality. That is... Uh, I, I don't think something that I have fully developed yet. I think that that is a lifelong path. I think it's important to feel our emotions and allow them to cycle through the five element phases so that they don't become trapped inside of our body. And, you know, I think that the emotion that comes up when a landscape is uh, wiped out by a fire is grief. It's been, you know, vast amounts of grief that feel, you know, personal to me, but also completely impersonal to me because this is our earth that we all live on. It affects all of us. And um, and just the hugeness of, of how much life was lost, although it wasn't human life and it wasn't, you know, physical structures that were necessarily lost um, on my end. Of course, some, some people did lose their homes and their ranches, but... Um, it's about, you know, the landscape, um, the ecosystem, the death of all of the, those trees. And, and yes, we know that they will come back and that they lay dormant in seed form underground. But at the same time, there was certain death did occur. And so grief has been, you know, the emotion, I suppose, that, that has really come up. Um, and there's, you know, deep pools of it in in our group consciousness and, you know, in, inside of each of us. And I think it's important to feel that. Um, and so, but in Taoism, I think eventually there's this idea that through cultivation, you would, you, you would be less and less affected by the emotions and you would become, you know, this, this brightness that, it sees beyond good and bad fortune, misfortune. It accepts everything that comes your way and, uh, you know, just surrenders to it because of a greater perspective. Yeah. I think because of an undoing of our notions of, um, yeah, just, just everything we cling to, uh, even just life and death itself. Okay, so maybe letting go and seeing what's really important allows us to get to a place of neutrality about the what we've lost, maybe. I suppose it's the ultimate idea would be to be like nature itself. So nature itself, um, the fire itself, you know, rages through and that's part of nature. And the death of this whole landscape is part of nature. And it's not, it, it holds no preference. It just mm-hmm. is. And that is the Tao. So what comes after the grief and the death? How does the healing begin? 
You know, for me, um, it was, uh, you know, through having knowledge on how to move forward and have hope. So, you know, actually what happened for me is I felt very lost in the grief and I didn't feel like I had the knowledge of how to move forward to restore this landscape. Um, and so then, um, I was put in contact with a person, uh, named Michael Ridge, who is a, uh, wild tender who has devoted his life to, uh, being a nomadic on horseback, gathering seed of native plants, first food plants, and helping, um, plant those seeds around the landscape. And, um, what was great about this individual is that he lives in that same region where this fire burnt through my land. And so he knows the local flora and fauna very well. Um, and so to have him, um, come out to the land, walk the land with us, I took my, um, nine students who were just at this past immersion camp that just finished. And, you know, we walked the landscape and we gathered seed and we spread that seed and it sounds very simple, but through meeting this person uh, and being able to pick up on that transmission that he received from his teacher and all of the experiences that exist in his you know, presence and being and um, through what he's saying, I started to really understand, okay, so this is how you do this. You know, this is how you wild tend. This is how you gather the seed. This is when and how you plant it. Um, and so it started to all make sense to me. And to me, that was the next step of hope to bring me out of that kind of, um, vague, uh, indescribable loss, you know, mm-hmm. feeling loss. So I think that hope and I think we- just the very act of planting a seed, you know, is such a great way to, to instill that hope in you. Cause you're you're doing it because you expect something to come from it for a new life to happen. And so just to be able to let yourself plant seeds is a sign that you have hope, you know, and it helps maybe reinforce that hope and faith inside mm-hmm. of you. Yeah. Now, um, would you, have you learned some of these principles and share them in the books that you've written? I um, was looking so you first wrote the Valley Spirit, and then mm-hmm. um, the Path of the Spiritual Warrior, which are both on Amazon and on your. Can you also get them through your website? Uh, yeah, you can. You can get the Valley Spirit uh, direct through my website. Um, Path of the Spiritual Warrior you can get on Amazon or direct from the publisher, um, Purple Cloud Press. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of like the key themes from those two books? Yeah, well, so The Valley Spirit is a personal memoir about my time spent in the Wudong Mountains with Li Shifu um, from the age of, yeah, basically the timeline of that book is age 18 to 24. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that for sure there are a lot of Taoist values, martial values um, inside of that book. Also, what it is to be... 
um, a young woman on a spiritual path or a martial path. It was very much a coming of age story for me, uh, looking back on it now. And uh, whereas Path of the Spiritual Warrior, I wrote um, last year and uh, journeyed to Thailand to essentially that book is about the life and teachings of uh, Pedro Villalobos. And I had met Pedro. He's a Marshall brother uh, through Leisure Fu, actually, because Pedro was on a journey to learn from other masters in the four directions. He's spent most of his time learning Muay Thai in Thailand. Uh, but, you know, he, he sought out other teachers for different aspects of, you know, what makes him who he is now. Uh, and he had found Leisure Fu. He had had a dream about a white horse and then was seeking, you know, this Chinese master and found us on the temple and everything. And so that's how I met Pedro. Later, my other martial brother, uh, who runs a publishing company, asked me to write a book about Pedro's life and teachings. And so I went to Thailand and and learned from him and uh, kind of just did, did my best to represent and record and transcribe his, his words and teachings. So... I'd say both books are really, you know, well described as just it's about the path of the spiritual warrior. It's about what it means to be um, a warrior or a martial artist on a full spectrum of um, of all of who you are, your life path, your values, um, your, you know, your experience in, in combat um, and also the internal aspect of of being a warrior because you know really most importantly in our day and age since we're not really fighting for our survival uh it's you know this battle is really within uh inside of ourselves in our mind uh between you know our ego self and our true self or our spirit mind yeah I'm sure it was frustrating when you first came back to the States and started like teaching, like you said, the hobbyists and the, the smaller classes that getting into the internal um, martial arts was probably more difficult, would you say, than like being able to do that in these immersion programs? Yeah, for sure. It, it, it was more difficult. You know, when you teach in a studio, everything becomes slightly more compartmentalized as far as like styles and you know, so it's like some people just want to learn Qigong. Some people just want to learn, you know, mantra recitation and scripture. Some people just want to learn how to fight or just self-defense. Um, you know, some people just want to learn Tai Chi. But for me, it's um, it was always everything together as a whole uh, way of life. And so that's how I prefer to teach it. And I it all just becomes amplified if you're also in nature and able to, um, you know, wake up every morning with the sun and observe the moon, see the stars, breathe fresh air. Um, that amplifies it. Yeah. Now, something that I read um, on your website that I really like is that you also teach students um, how they can return to daily life with, you know, some keeping some of the teachings that they learned in your program um, but then also applying it to daily life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, all of these arts, of course, too, are, are good for, 
for anyone and, and any level of commitment. I think we all need movement in our bodies in order to stay healthy. I think we we all can benefit from just a little bit of seated meditation every day, just like we need to sleep at night in order to restore and have rest. Um, seated meditation is its own uh, different way of resting and restoring. So I think that um, there's so many levels, you know, to which you can benefit from these arts. Um, and, you know, o- over the past two years of the pandemic and starting to teach online Zoom classes more, I felt like that was really good to um, reach more people in their daily lives, you know, so instead of removing them from their daily lives, we're kind of infusing these arts into their homes <laughs> um, through the screen. And so that is part of it, uh, too, you know, just finding little moments every day to train just a little bit, if that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say is like the number one thing that you wish people understood better that you're trying to convey to them in your instruction? You know, it would probably... You know, I think that what I find lacking in most people is just a uh, perseverance and kind of ferocity in pursuing these things that are important to us. Um, But I think that that's really just me. You know, that's just my personality. I think that's, you know, it's a common trait of a martial artist to to be very, um, you know, single minded and focused and you know, if people can understand that it is a full, you know, life spectrum, that's important. I think, um, you know, I don't know, I guess it's a hard question, because I've been trying so long to teach and convey the things that are important that that I do feel like I've gotten to a place where people are able to receive it and understand it. Um, and it's through designing the the medium and the context through which I want to deliver it that helps people understand. Because it's like if I'm trying to teach all these things in a context of just like, um, yeah, drop in class in a studio, then, then it's very hard. Um, <clears throat> but currently I feel like uh, many students have very much been able to understand what I'm conveying. And um, so I don't, I don't feel very frustrated on that front right now. What you're doing right now, um, you're doing the immersion programs and you're doing your online instruction. What can you get from um, your online classes right now? Uh, So I archived all of the classes that I taught over these this past year and a half of the pandemic. And so right now I don't have anything on the schedule um, just because I've been so busy with this, these summer in-person courses, but I'll probably be putting some, you know, live online classes up soon on the schedule. Uh, But all the archives are still available. And I think what you can get out of that is just um, a foundation of uh, the arts, an introduction to the arts, uh, the ability to go at your own pace in, you know, in your own, you know, home setting. And, you know, these past summer courses were great because I was able to have essentially returning students, like all returning students. They all had a foundation through the online courses Mm -hmm. uh, and able to progress a lot faster because of that. So, I think it's just uh, 
I think you can get a lot out of the online courses really. Um, and you know, and then when, when one has time, uh, can hopefully come for an in-person course too, to get all the things that you can't quite get, uh, through the online context. Uh, but you know, I, again, I, I felt like all of the online classes that I taught this year were, um, were really potent and everyone got a lot out of them. So you can basically explore the general curriculum of what I teach through the online classes. Okay. All right. Well, do you have anything else that um, you wanted to share before we wrap up or um, either things that you have coming on the horizon or any advice that you typically give to people? Um. Yeah, well, I would say, um, yeah, I guess if I if I if I didn't clarify uh, what those classes <clears throat> that I'm talking about are, uh, you know, it's qigong, tai chi, bagua, kung fu, some weapons forms, uh, uh, mantra recitation, seated meditation. Um, sorry, ma- mantra recitation and seated meditation. Um, so you can explore that if, if you're unfamiliar. And then, you know, my advice, um, you know, parting words, you know, I know that uh, the, you know, the theme of the podcast is staying in the game. And so, you know, I thought to myself, what, you know, what is, what is it really that would uh, uh, take to stay in the game for all different types of people? And so for me, it's, it's just this kind of, yeah, um, willingness to stay focused and keep going. It's also a habit that's been formed through my experience of all these, you know, Kung Fu schools uh, and uh, regiments and daily practices have trained me to have my own. It's as if my own nature is to, you know, push through hardship, endure um, you know, what we call bitterness, but these are just life lessons, you know, um, that shape us and, uh, you know, give us wisdom. So I think like staying in the game is just like uh, having that mind to do that, having that nature to do that. And if that's not currently in your nature, then, um, pursuing martial arts, you know, um, and movement arts trains us to become that, to Mm -hmm. have that experience and focus, um, and mind body connection. So, um, I would just say, you know, to stay strong in your thoughts, uh, train your inner nature and, um, use those values to, uh, learn from everything that happens to us in life and take the lessons from that and become stronger that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, um, your website is Wudong White Horse. It is, yes. So it's, yeah, WudongWhiteHorse.com. Um, and then there's kind of um, another one, WudongWhiteHorseOnline.com, where I was posting all of my online classes, and that's where you can find the archives. Um, and my original website, WudongWhiteHorse.com, has kind of all the information about the immersion courses. Okay. So here's a question I have for you. Where is the white horse right now? Is is there one white horse? <laughs> you know, originally there was. Uh, well, 
you know, back in the Song Dynasty when um, the Five Immortals Temple uh, originated, um, there, you know, there was legends of being able to hear the horses calling um, in the mountains. And, um, but then, you know, fast forward into our modern times, when I first went to the temple, uh, Li Shifu had uh, rescued a horse from somewhere in southern China and brought it to the temple. And that horse was Bai Long. Um, White Dragon was her name. And uh, she has since passed um, a few years ago. But the white horse, or the heavenly horse, it represents heaven. And the, the cow represents earth. Uh, the horse, you know, is swift and moving like heaven. And the cow is, you know, square and still and stays uh, like earth. So to me, the white horse is a representation of heaven. Okay, I love that. That's so beautiful. And that's really neat. So it was Pedro that had a dream about this white horse. And that's how he yeah. found you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what he said. Master on a white horse, and then uh, somehow found, you know, oh, White Horse Mountain in China, and oh, you know, please your food. This must be it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, um, I hope people will check out your books, and we'll have links to um, how they can find you. Uh, are you on social media as well as your website? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you should be able to find me just by searching my name, Lindsay Way. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on our show. I'm really excited to share it with other people and for them to get to know you. And I, I just love your story. I think you're an incredible martial artist and a woman in general. And I hope other people will be inspired by your, your journey. That's um, really remarkable. So thanks for sharing it with our listeners. Well, thank you. Yep. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We also thank our listeners for joining us today. For show notes and links to information shared with you, visit us at plumdragonherbs.com. And if you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share and subscribe wherever you like to listen. If this episode has sparked more questions for you, we invite you to check out our new private forum where you can get answers to some of your toughest questions on herbalism and martial arts. Click the banner at the top of our website page for more information. Until next time.